Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders. I really want to thank you for tuning in, and I invite you to go to outcomesrocket.com slash reviews, where you could leave a rating and review for today's show. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Can't wait to hear what you think. So without further ado, I want to introduce our outstanding guest today. His name is Dr. John Lee. He's a chief medical information officer at Edward Hospital in Naperville, Illinois. He's got a background in emergency medicine and a talent and knack for technology. He's been a member of the Physician Committee on HIMSS. He's been the chair. I think he's currently the chair. Is that right, John? You're the chair right now? Yes. The chair at Physician Committee and at HIMSS. And he's just a very curious mind in medicine that's also at the forefront of what's happening. So I'm so excited to have you on the on the show, John. Just want to welcome you to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So what got you started in the medicine to begin with, John? Well, it was actually kind of serendipitous. When I went to uh, apply for colleges, I applied to about half engineering colleges and half pre-med colleges, and I got rejected from all the engineering colleges, and <laughs> I got accepted at all the pre-med colleges, so I thought that was fate telling me where I, where I needed to go. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's a loud and clear sign if it, there isn't one. So you've been through the front lines as an emergency medical doctor. Now you're, you're doing a lot of strategic thinking as the chief medical information officer. John, what do you think a hot topic that should be on every medical leader's agenda today? What is that topic and how are you guys addressing it over at Edward? Well, the topic, I think truly where we're, we've been trying to get to and with all the infrastructural changes that we've put forth and put all so much effort into over the past 10-ish years is really trying to get data to be a commodity that we can rely upon to actually make decisions in medicine. And heretofore, it really hasn't been that data really hasn't been that available. I think the initial iterations and the first wave of like meaningful use and the first five or six years was really about just trying to get providers to do sort of the initial obvious steps. So classic story, uh, classic situation that occurred before EMRs when I was going through my training right. is that the you get a patient in the emergency room. One of the first orders that would come forth from the physician was obtain patients' old charts from the chart room. And then particularly patients who had been here for been in our institution multiple times, there would be, after probably about, I don't know, 30 minutes or so, someone would come up with this cart with stacks and stacks and reams and reams of charts. So that's assuming that the patient was actually even seen in our, in our hospital. And so there really was no interoperability whatsoever. And then even if the patient had been in our institution before, the charts and the size of them would be just completely unconsumable. And so you'd look at, yeah. Yeah. So you look at the stack of charts and you'd shrug your shoulders and say, there's no way I'm going to look through all that. And you think to yourself, I'm just going to wing it. So that's kind of where we started from. And then the first things that I think we were able to accomplish after high tech was that 
now we don't have to get that pile of charts. We can actually get the patient's old CBC or an old patient's note and get it relatively easily. Mm-hmm. And then we also laid the seeds for some interoperability. But really, when you, when you look at what the data and information that's available in medical records that's available right now, doing that sort of thing makes sort of intuitive sense to the uh, frontline physician. But going deeper and actually using the data to really change care, get insights and knowledge into workflows and predictive models that may not necessarily uh, have been apparent before, I think that's where we're going to go next. And that's where a lot of places, I think, are falling short right now. Yeah, I think that's a good call out, John. And just thinking through what is it that we could do, these insights, if you had to name a couple of them, what would you say some of the insights that facilities could start making on these EMRs? You know, a lot of people just say, all right, you know, it's a big billing machine, right? And so how do we make the billing machine into an insight machine? What are your thoughts there? Well, I would take actually issue with the fact, with the contention that these are billing machines. I think that the infrastructure that has been put into place particularly with the regulatory burden, there is an emphasis on that component. For instance, the oft-used term note bloat, right. which is a direct consequence of 1990s-era uh, E&M coding, which is still persisting and still has no useful purpose in medicine. But it is what it is, and it right. makes no, no logical sense. But we still use it to the, the EMR to create these charts to accommodate that. We're... I think we can go is number one, use the system to smooth out those rough edges. So actually note bloat is an excellent example of that so that you can create these very E&M laden notes with admittedly not a lot of noise to signal, but you can do it relatively easy and that then frees up the physician's uh, workflow and mindset to do other more productive things. So I think that's one thing that we can do with these technical systems. Yeah. The other is is to actually get uh, unique insights that we may not necessarily have. So as, as an example, one of the big initiatives is is sepsis recently. So the seminal study for this was a the surviving sepsis study, I think in 2010. And within that study, they identified three key factors that predicted sepsis at a high level. Is the patient infected? Does the patient have SIRS, uh, systemic inflammatory response syndrome? And does the patient have some evidence of end organ damage? But what they had to do was to kind of dumb it down because it, that study and the data collection of that abstraction was put together by humans with our puny brains who could only tackle a half dozen or a dozen data points at any given time. But when you actually implement and look at the data unfiltered, and when they collect the data, they humans actually consciously or unconsciously filter the data so that they know, okay, well, that person may technically be quote-unquote infected, but I know that they're not really infected, so I'm not going to count them. So it's that sort of filtering that occurs that our digital systems really, at least at first pass, didn't, uh, weren't able to accomplish. So when we went live with our initial sepsis score in our digital system, it fired for probably about a third of the patients in the hospital. Wow. And so what we did was then we added other points of data to say, well, if the patient has a certain type of data characteristic, well, that's significant because 
X, Y, and Z, or that's not significant because X, Y, and Z. And so what we need to be able to do is take multiple, multiple data points that go beyond what our puny human brain can absorb and create other models to conceptualize insights and knowledge and then have the systems consume that and spit it back out to us in a way that's actually understandable to us as providers. And that's actually where AI, big data, cognitive computing, that's exactly what we're trying to do with these sorts of systems now. And I think that's going to be the next big inflection point of what we do with these systems. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, especially with sepsis patients. It's a big deal. And sounds like you guys took the steps, you developed the system and then refined it, you know, went from one third of the patients alarming to now more fine tuned. Is it in a place now where it's it's producing, I guess, uh, valid alarms? Yeah. So right now. Nice. Congratulations. Uh, uh, thank you. You know, the specificity is somewhere on the order of uh, 60%, which is when you look at the literature, that's it's actually, I think, better than average. Pretty awesome, yeah. And it's actually impacting our the care. Our actual to expected sepsis metrics are have been consistently below what would be expected for quite some time now, ever since we put these initiatives into place. And that's the sort of thing that I think that w- where we can actually make an impact. And the thing is that there's, there's a lot of organizations, and mine included, that say that they're quote-unquote data-driven, but they're not data-driven. They have some sort of crude dashboards or very unrefined data sources that they try to make decisions on, or they just guess, and they don't actually make a lot of decisions based on pure data. And there are very few organizations that I found that actually uh, are in that category. Yeah, it's a challenge. Uh, and, and, you know, kudos to you and your team for putting together this, this application. It's a very real problem that clinicians are faced with, patients have to deal with. And um, it's pretty awesome that you guys made it that specific and actionable and actually pulling from data sources that are reliable. So big congrats on that win. Give us an example of a time when things didn't go so well and what you learned from it. I would say that just generally speaking, the issue of alert fatigue is still a very Very overwhelming and still very, very uh, present in in our organization and almost every other organization that I know of. And it actually goes back to the issue of data in that the to-do like a PDSA cycle, you actually have to study. The key point is studying. What I'm, I find in both my organization and multiple other organizations, most other organizations, is that your operational leaders crack the whip and say, we need this alert or we need this certain metric. And then you scramble around, put something into place, and then it's like whack-a-mole. You put do that project and now five other projects pop up. And they're isn't yet a culture, at least in our organization, where it's a regimented, we put something into place, we measure it afterward. And then if once we measure it, if it's not doing what we want it to do, then we adjust and we act. The S and the A in the PDSA cycle are very much missing in our organization, just culturally. We're trying to- And I think that's true across really everywhere, not just you guys, John. Yeah, I think there's this thinking that I described the the cracking the whip, people panicking about something and they say, well, we got to do something. And then you do something and it gets lost in the weeds. 
Uh, you put an alert in the system, and we've been reviewing some of these things, and a good alert is something that has an actual response rate probably 10% or more, which is kind of sad. Well, and circling back to the sepsis, we put a lot of time and effort into that. And because we actually did have a PDSA cycle multiple times, multiple iterations, studying what, what worked and where it was giving false positives, putting the data back into the model, our response rate on that particular alert is about 30 or 40%. So, nice. yeah. So it's... Yeah. Um, that SA part, right? <laughs> yeah. It, and and that's, that's actually what's missing. And the problem is that there are, are very few organizations that have really industrialized and streamlined that SA part because the processes that produce that sort of data can be very cumbersome and difficult to extract. And then on top of that, the people who actually are skilled at extracting that sort of data often don't have operational context there's a CIO who had a saying, well, that's a DIPWAD project. And the DIPWAD is an acronym for designed in programming, working as designed. So <laughs> basically, you told them what to build. They built it. It's not functional, but this is exactly what you told them to build. And yeah. so there isn't that context. That weren't, yeah, exactly. Yep. These people who, you know, they're SQL programmers, you know, right. they, they, don't, they don't know anything about clinical medicine and they, they don't know that a particular piece of data or a set of data may not be necessarily relevant, but it's in the data set. So they include it. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. And they build you what you asked for, but it's it functional. That's where the challenge comes in. That's a great call out. Yeah. You know, can you give the, the listeners, John, an example of, I mean, this sepsis one was a great example. Maybe another example of how you and Edward have created results, whether it be improved outcomes, less alarms, by thinking and doing things differently? So there's this concept this knee-jerk concept that decision support means alerts and particularly interruptive alerts. But we have tried very hard to take the tack that there's the whole thing about the four or five rights of decision support, right person, right time, right data, right workflow, so on and so forth. Right. And so what we've been able to do is kind of push that alerting forward in the workflow. So a particular example that we had was our compliance with A1C results on our hospitalized patients for patients who had not had an A1C within 90 days prior to our electronic system was somewhere in the 80% range. I think based on what I know of that metric, it's that's about average. So what we did was within the admission order set, we have these filters in place that then unreveal a defaulted, unchecked A1C order if we don't have an A1C result in our system within the past 90 days. The provider does, has to do nothing. It just shows up and it appears for them. Nice. And it's that sort of thing, I think. And then now our numbers are 98, 99% That's as a result awesome. of that, that particular piece of decision support. And it really is kind of shifting the mindset of what does alert what does decision support actually mean? It's not something really trying to avoid and get away from this thing that pops up and tells you and slaps your hand that you did, you're, did something wrong or you're about to do something wrong, yeah. but actually hands something to you that says, this is what we want you to do before you even think about actually doing it. 
Yeah, I love that. I think that's uh, more of the, again, going back to your your predictive analytics with maybe you didn't use machine learning or AI for this, but it's getting toward that route. Yeah. And to that point, it was a very laborious process. If we had true machine learning tools, it probably would have taken us about a tenth of the time. But most of us don't have that sort of those sorts of resources. You know, we don't have a data scientist on on staff at our hospital. We're not Stanford. We're not Geisinger. We're not Mayo. <laughs> so we have to do what we can do. For sure. No, and that's a good example of it. And then once you develop systems like that, which you have, now you, you have a, a really great foundation of, hey, we did this laboriously. Check this out and maybe do some, reserve some time with these people. Maybe they're not there full time to do specific projects that tie into the organization's goals, you know? Yeah. And I tell our BI director, I jokingly threaten I'm in the process of learning R or Python. And uh, <laughs> it's sort of a running joke be- between us. <laughs> Nice. Oh, man. Uh, but are you? Or are you? Uh, yeah, I'm t- dabbling, dabbling in it, mainly just, okay. mainly just so that I understand it. So For sure. It really does help having that sort of background so that you can actually walk the walk and talk the talk on both sides so that I can speak as a physician to the providers and I can speak as somebody who knows the technology to the analysts. And that actually having that being having that ability to bridge that gap really does help prevent that dipwad phenomenon that I was speaking of. Totally. Before. Yeah, and it gives you the strength and, and ability to pressure test both sides of the aisle. Right. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. And so, you know, we're we're walking through a lot of these really cool things that you guys are up to. Really appreciate you sharing that. I know that, you know, the listeners, you all Maybe we'll take some ideas from what John has shared today, and maybe you're curious about how he got there. We'll share, you know, just maybe the best place to get in touch with John here at the end, but it's all about improving outcomes, collaborating. That's why we're, we're here today. So think about some of the things that you're doing at your institution or at your company and how you can make things better based off this conversation with John, which has been really, really great. John, Let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. It's the 101 course or the ABCs of Dr. John Lee. We're going to write a syllabus. I got four Uh questions for you. Sure. Okay. (laughs) And and these are lightning rounds. So give me as as snippet as as you can. And then we're going to finish with a book that we're going to add to the syllabus. You ready? Okay. Sure. Awesome. So what is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Use data. Use data well. Love it. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Using data poorly. (laughs) (laughs) How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? Innovate. Be at the leading edge. What is one area of focus that drives all else in your organization? Really is developing that BI and analytics infrastructure that's agile and can give the sorts of data information and knowledge that, that our organization needs quickly. And finally, John, what's the book that you recommend for the listeners here on the syllabus? Probably, can I say two? Yeah, you could, you could give us two. <laughs> All right, listeners, you got, you, got, you got work ahead of you on the syllabus. John's a, John's a tough teacher here. Drive and okay. Outliers. Uh, I think those I refer to quite frequently, both in interactions with other people and just internally when I think about and things as a manager and leader in, our, in my organization. Love it, John. And Drive, who's the author of Drive? I think that's Dan Pink is is the author. Yeah. Got it. Dan Pink. And then Outliers is Malcolm Gladwell, right? That's correct. Yes. Awesome. 
Awesome. So there you have it, listeners. You got this awesome syllabus, these two books. Don't worry about writing them down. Just go to outcomesrocket.com slash J Lee. That's J L E E. And you're going to be able to pop up all of the show notes for today's episode, as well as the links to, to John's organization and any of the things that he's up to. He does some really great shares on LinkedIn, writes articles that I think you'll find very intriguing. So he'll share the best way to, for you to tap into what he's putting out there. John, before we conclude would love to just, you know, hear you share a closing thought with the listeners and then the best place where they could get in touch with you or follow you. I think really I've harped on it before and it really is about the data. And if we can unlock the data and actually make it meaningful for our organizations, we can actually change our organizations and actually save lives and actually save the healthcare system, which is collapsing really under its own weight. Probably the best way to, to look at what I'm up to, you already mentioned before, is, is the, my LinkedIn profile. And um, we'll share some contact information on the website as well. Outstanding. So listeners, go ahead and, and check him out. You'll see the link to his uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Just go to outcomesrocket.com slash J Lee. And uh, again, just want to say thank you so much, John, for spending time with us today. It's been a really, really interesting and, and fun time. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.